Let's turn to Mark 14, 43 to 52 is where we're looking tonight. Um, and uh, I love that we are in this section of Mark, uh, not, my, not by my design, as we're approaching Easter. I don't know how it'll play out. I, I, I imagine Easter will come and go before we get to the end of Mark based on our pace in the past. But um, like I was talking to the kids about this morning, um, it's a good time of year for us to really, you know, sort of soak into these stories about the last week of Jesus because um, there's so many that, um, like I was thinking and thinking and planning for, you know, the next several weeks, like leading up to Easter. And um, I was thinking about how Palm Sunday is followed by Good Friday is followed by Easter. And for most people, there are two, two church services in there. And there are, like in Mark, there are like seven chapters of the Bible, you know, uh, just in Mark that cover that same period. And so, um, you know, because um, we don't we don't tend to have like a, a Good Friday service or like a Monday Thursday service or anything like that, um, if you preach on... Palm Sunday about Jesus' triumphal entry, and then on the next Sunday you preach about the resurrection. I mean, you didn't get a sermon in about the cross, and you didn't get anything about you know Jesus' teaching in between those two things, which the Gospels are full of. So, um, anyway, so it's good for us uh, to to have some extended time to 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 think through these stories and be reminded of these stories, and um, so I'm grateful to be where we are, especially this time of year. Um, we uh, <clears throat> focused last time on uh, Jesus' time of uh, prayer and trial in the Garden of Gethsemane as he you know, asked the Father if there's any other way. Can this cup please pass from me? Um, but said, not what I will, but you will. And then where we ended, um, Jesus' disciples kept falling asleep, couldn't stay awake to pray with him. Um, but he finally said, you know, it is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And then that leads us into our passage, starting in verse 43, where it says, And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. 
So uh, Jesus has known, right, that this hour was coming. He told his disciples this time was coming. He, he, he knew that he was going to be betrayed by one of his own. Um, he knew it was Judas. Um, and so he was prepared for this. Um, and yet Jesus being prepared for it does not take away from how, uh, how dark of an hour this is and how terrible uh, of a scene it is. It's one of the most infamous scenes ever recorded, right? The betrayal of Jesus by Judas with a kiss. I mean, it, you know, it, has, it is proverbial, right? You talk about a Judas kiss, the ultimate betrayal. <clears throat> and, um, uh, and that's, you know, what we see here. So uh, Jesus is with his disciples. He's been praying. He's prepared for, um, for his betrayal and for his crucifixion. And so it says, while he was still speaking to his disciples, while he was saying, okay, here he is, it's, it's, now is the time, Judas came, and then Mark reminds us that he was one of the twelve. We already know that, right? But he reminds us of that probably to, you know, re-emphasize how terrible this is. This is not some random uh, informant. You know, this is one of his, uh, <clears throat> one of his band of disciples, and with him there was a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. And um, part of what is crazy about that scene, and Jesus is going to highlight this later, is we know enough about Jesus to know uh, two things. One, you don't need swords and clubs when you're dealing with Jesus. And swords and clubs would not really do you any good if he didn't want to be arrested anyway. right? If, he, if, if this was not the time... You couldn't have stopped it no matter what you had. Um, but they come against him with these weapons. And uh, this comes with a, a crowd of people representing <clears throat> several groups of the religious leaders of the day. right? The chief priests, who of course were in charge of the temple, as well as the scribes and the elders. <clears throat> so this is the, the climax of this um, opposition that Jesus has faced mainly from the leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the elders and the scribes and so on. Uh, they've been looking for a chance to do something like this <clears throat> for quite a long time. And so finally they see their chance and they seize it. And uh, verse 44 tells us how uh, Judas had set up this meeting, right? Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man. <clears throat> Seize him and lead him away under guard. Now, maybe they needed some sort of sign because it was dark. Right? This is it's nighttime. It's it could be quite late um, at night already. And so, how are they going to know they've got the right guy? Where well, they're going to follow right behind Judas and see who he who he kisses? Um, uh, uh, something I read said that. Um, this was a common greeting for, uh, for a rabbi. If you belonged to a rabbi and he was your teacher, you would, it would be normal for you to greet him with a kiss. Um, but Judas has taken um, <clears throat> something that is um, incredibly um, intimate, right? Something that um, in the Middle East, men still kiss each other, right? But it's, it's, it's a... It's still an intimate thing, right? It's between 
friends. It requires trust. It requires vulnerability to let somebody get that close to your face um, without being defensive, you know, without, um, uh, you know, being able to protect yourself. Um, And so he takes something that involves so much trust and so much intimacy and, and, and so much vulnerability, and he uh, abuses that, right, and turns that into uh, one of the wo- most wicked moments in all of history. Um, and, uh, <clears throat> and then at the same time, the fact that it was a kiss captures the depth of the betrayal, right, that it was someone who would be in a position to come up to Jesus and kiss him on the cheek, right, that someone that close to him, that trustworthy, even though Jesus knew what Judas was doing, um, to someone who was allowed that near would be the kind of person, uh, would, be, would be the person who ended up betraying him and turning him over. Um, is just, uh, you know, difficult to put into to words, uh, how horrible that was what a what a despicable thing that was that Judas did um, and there's there's a and there's another layer of of um, irony of of poignancy uh, in this in verse uh, forty five when it says when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. I mean, you call somebody rabbi, that means they're your teacher. They're your leader. You look up to them. You listen to them. You learn from them. They're your disciple. That, of course, is you know the role Judas has been in. He's been one of Jesus' disciples for three years. He's been calling Jesus rabbi. But in this moment, when he betrays him to, to call him again rabbi, to call him my teacher... Um, is, um, I mean, so contradictory to what he's doing, right? I'm calling you my teacher, and yet I apparently so fully distrust and maybe even despise you that I'm willing to hand you over to our enemies so that they can, uh, you know, who do, do who knows what with you. Um, so there's just so much um, darkness and, and, and pain uh, here that that's that's the reason why we refer to you know the most terrible betrayals we can think of we we call them you know a Judas kiss or a Judas like betrayal um, because everything about Jesus's death is extreme right like lots of people were crucified but nobody's crucifixion was like Jesus because he was the Son of God he was not just a man because he was sinless. Uh, unlike everybody else who was ever crucified, because he was bearing our sin in our place. Uh, He was taking not just the the human physical suffering, but he was also uh, bearing the weight of our sin um, as he died on the cross. Uh, Everything about his death is is extreme, and his betrayal is no less so. You cannot imagine or find any worse betrayal anywhere in history. Because not only is this a, uh, a close friend betraying you, not only is this a, a pupil, a disciple betraying you, but Judas is not just betraying 
a really great teacher. Judas is betraying the Son of God himself. He's betraying the Savior, the one who left heaven to come here to become like one of us in order that he could lay down his life for us and save us. And what does he get in thanks from Judas? Well, he, he gets betrayed. Um, so, uh, so Judas betrays Jesus um, and he does it with a kiss. He does it calling him rabbi. And then verse 46 says, they laid hands on him and seized him. <clears throat> and, you know, we all know what that looks like, right? You, they're not, when somebody lays hands on you and seizes you, that's usually not a very gentle thing. <clears throat> but then it says, verse 47, but one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. So there was at least one person there right, who was ready to fight. And Mark doesn't tell us who it is, but John does. In John 18.10, we're told that it was Peter. We're even told the name of the, of the servant. His name was Malchus. <clears throat> and we're told that Jesus um, healed this ear that Peter cut off and told Peter to stop. Right, um, And so... <clears throat> One of the things, you know, we, we've talked about, uh, leading up to this, we've talked about uh, how Peter said to Jesus, I'm willing to die for you, I'm willing to suffer for you, I'm, I'm going to be with you to the bitter end, no matter what. Um, and we know that Jesus told him, that's not how it's going to go. You are going to deny me three times before this night is over. Um, but we do see here that Peter was not, he was not all talk. Right? He was not just saying, oh, I would, I would die for you. And then as soon as people come to arrest him, arrest Jesus, Peter you know, runs off with his tail between his legs. He's willing to fight. Right? He's ready to take on this crowd of people that has come to arrest Jesus, though they're surely outnumbered. I mean, you imagine people who have been waiting for the right moment for so long to arrest Jesus, who have been so afraid that if they bungled this or did it at the right time or the wrong time, that there would be an uproar and there would be a riot and all this stuff. You know that they came with plenty of people so that if Jesus' disciples tried to put up a fight, there would be no problem. Because the last thing they wanted was uh, to open up some kind of extended conflict where Jesus escapes and people are fighting with swords and word spreads throughout the city and then the next thing you know Jerusalem is in an uproar because well some people don't even know and some people are saying it's about Jesus and some people are saying this and that and the whole city's you know on fire before you know what's going on so you know they came with a massive crowd of people but Peter is undeterred and uh, tries to fight them off <clears throat> but Jesus puts a stop to it um, and he says to them in verse 48 have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Um, as we were saying earlier, Jesus, you know, Jesus did not come like so many were expecting the Messiah to come, wielding a sword. Jesus did not come to start a fight. Jesus did not come to start an uprising. Um, and yet they have come to arrest him as though he's some sort of like, you know, 
leader of a band of robbers or insurrectionists or, or whatever who are trying to overthrow the government or you know something like that. <clears throat> Jesus never gave any indication that that's the kind of person that he was. Uh, and in fact, he tried to um, show people who thought that's the kind of person he was that that is not who he was. Um, but they, can't, they come out against him uh, that way anyways. And then he says, verse 49, Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. You've had plenty of opportunities to arrest me. I didn't have bodyguards at the temple whenever when I was there teaching. You could have arrested me in public view anytime you wanted to. Clearly they didn't want to do it that way. Um, and so part of what Jesus is drawing attention to uh, is not only was um, Judas's uh, betrayal obviously underhanded, right? but the way these officials are handling Jesus's arrest um, also shows that something is not right. right. Why would they only do this at night, in the dark, away from the crowds, armed with weapons when Jesus has done nothing but heal people and teach people and he's been open about what he's doing and what he's saying. He's done it in public. Um, But he says uh, there at the end of verse 49, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. In other words, this is the way it was supposed to happen. This is what, this is how God laid out the plan. This is what God said uh, it was going to be like. I'm just drawing attention to the fact that you guys are doing something dark and dirty, but that's what we knew was going to happen. So let's, we'll just, we're going to let it, let it happen. Um, and then verse 50 says, and they all left him and fled, which is exactly what Jesus said would happen and said the scriptures said would happen back in verse 27. Jesus said to them, you will all fall away for it is written. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And that's when they arrested Jesus Everybody left and fled, including this young guy in verse 51 and 52. It says there was a, a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. Now, that's a strange story, right? That's an odd little detail. One of those things that, you know, you can be in church for years and years and years, and then one day you're reading the Gospel of Mark and you go, how have I never read that story? <laughs> Where's that been? Uh, I remember feeling that way about, um, I think, about um, Matthew 28, where after Jesus rose from the dead, or when he dies, and there's an earthquake and whatever, and then it says, people came out of their tombs, and when he was raised from the dead, they like came into the holy city, and you know these saints of old and whatever, and I, I think I remember being, I don't know, late high school or college, and be like, what? Where's that story been? You know, I don't remember hearing about that. This one's the same way. And, and it makes you wonder, like, why is this story in here? Um, and so people have speculated. Some people have said, well, maybe, maybe that young man was Mark. And maybe this is Mark's way of sort of like putting, you know, putting a little signature in the story of like, I was there too. And I'm not really, you know, proud of how I acted, but I was there, you know, uh, very possible it could have been Mark, but. We have no way of knowing for sure. I was there and I didn't have many clothes on. <laughs> yeah, right. That's an odd thing to say too. Yeah, um, but it does it does um, indicate, and I think something I was reading suggested this. I hadn't I hadn't really thought about it this way before, but it does uh, suggest that um, 
trying to think how to how to frame this. Um, all the disciples left him and fled. Do they have good reason to be scared? Right. Well, apparently there was a young guy there with nothing on but a linen robe or something. And they tried to arrest him too. They tried to seize him and he had to leave his clothes behind to get out of town. So maybe it's there in part to say, you know, not saying the disciples should have left, but we can sympathize with them. They weren't running from, you know, imaginary uh, concerns. They, I mean, they, these people were apparently ready to seize anybody in the vicinity of Jesus, even if they didn't even appear to be a threat. You know, a guy who just has a cloak on, you know, who's not even fully grown, and they're going to try to arrest him too. Well, and they were probably trying to get their hands on everybody then. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, anyway, whoever he was, right, he fled, and then it also. Um, <laughs> it also indicates how uh, how total Jesus' abandonment was. Right? Not only did his disciples run away, but this guy who was just kind of tagging along, we don't even know who he was, uh, he ran away too. Everybody was fleeing from Jesus. Um, it highlights how, uh, how, again, how alone he was uh, facing the things that were about to, uh, to happen to him, the uh, the trials and whatnot that were coming in the hours ahead. So uh, 